0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad to have you with us on this Monday morning, February 13th, year of our Lord Jesus, 2023. And I don't say those words carelessly. This is the year of our Lord Jesus' reign, 2023. It's a good day it's a great day in fact so glad you're with us Uh, i have a cold as i'm sure you can uh, tell so i'm going to try to get through this without uh, coughing at you blowing my nose at you that kind of thing so bear with me and i'm not operating on all cylinders so uh if i say anything outrageous (laughs) please let me know in the comments and uh and i'll uh, double check myself uh, thanks, M. That uh, that's really cool. Uh, for those of you that uh, are on Facebook and can't see his comment, he said his six-year-old son. I'm assuming it's a him. Sorry if I am miss, uh, miss, if I'm wrong about that. My uh, six-year-old son loves Gabe's song. He sings to it, sings it to me. That's uh, that's great. Uh, he'll be encouraged to hear that. So we're studying Hebrews, and let me ask you: Do you know? where chapter one is going. We spent some time here last week and uh, chapter one has... You're a lady. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for correcting me. Um, uh, Chapter one of Hebrews has a lot to say about Jesus and exalting who Jesus is. And we'll look at some of that. Why is the author of Hebrews wanting his audience to know who Jesus is, and especially his power and authority and some of those things. Do you remember where are we going here? And let me give you a minute. I know there's a slight delay. Let me give you a moment to, uh, to answer, uh, because it's not just a chapter about the glory of Christ abstractly in theory, that kind of thing. What's the, uh, what's the purpose here? It's very important. And in addition to teaching you the content of Hebrews... As we go, I wanna teach you how to study. We need to become better students. And especially today, I'm excited to, uh, to get into uh, the Old Testament to see how we should uh, read it. All right, no way it's answering. So the, the, where this is all going is chapter two. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. So all this uh, talk about Jesus in chapter one is out of concern that his audience is drifting away from what they've heard. And then he g- explains that. For if the words spoken through angels proved un- unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So his concern is these people who know the Jewish law, he, they know the law of Moses, what we call the Old Testament law. They know that God punished everyone who disobeyed that law. If that's true, how shall we escape God's judgment and penalty if we neglect the salvation that has been delivered through God's Son? So that's that's why he spent so much time in chapter one, exalting Christ. So let's uh, recap where we've been and then we'll get into some new stuff. So. Going back to the beginning here, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, that would be the, uh, what we call the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, those, uh, those guys, God spoke to them in the prophets in many portions, in many ways. So that, that would include more than just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All, all through the Old Testament, the, the giants of the faith of the Jews, God spoke to them. He spoke in prophets and, and he spoke in different ways here and there. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. And remember, we talked about how important that is. Uh, the prophets were just servants. A son is far more significant than a, than a servant, than, than a prophet even. And this son, he has appointed heir of all things. And we talked about this. Jesus has inherited everything. And we're going to see where the writer of Hebrews gets this idea of Jesus inheriting everything here in a minute. And then we're told, through the Son, through whom God made the world. Imagine that. Jesus is your creator. Jesus is the creator of the world. Literally, it's the word ages, meaning the the span of time. Uh, But it often is used, this word, ages. Ions uh, is used to describe kind of what we call the world, but there, there is a, a time element to it. There's a you know epics and eras element to it. So we could sort of say time and space and history. God made all of that through his son. Isn't that interesting? We so often think of God, the Father, as our creator, but he created everything through his son. And then he says this. He, the Son, is the radiance of his glory. So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now just ponder that for a minute. Why are all the molecules of your body held together? Why don't they just fly apart? Do you relegate that to the laws of nature, laws of physics, gravity, I don't know, some some what we call a natural law kind of thing? No. Jesus holds you together. Why, when you drop things, do they fall down, not fall up? Because Jesus is operating the world in the way, again, we, we think of laws of nature, but... That's all Jesus's power being exercised. And when he decides to move the earth's plates and cause earthquakes and bring, uh, bring natural disasters as we call them and so on, uh, he, he does that and and that's what's happening. Uh, Yeah, Peter says, I think of creation as God speaking it into being. What do you speak words? Jesus is the word. Yeah, exactly. There's a John 1, the prologue there in John, in the beginning was the word. And then he makes several allusions in John 1 back to Genesis 1. He very clearly has uh, Genesis 1 in mind as he's writing that prologue. And so uh, there's that interesting uh, interesting play on words. (laughs) See what I did there? All right, so he goes on and says, when he, speaking of the son still, when he had made purification of sins, that would be his work on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the son of God purifies us of our sins and then he sat down. He, he did his work and then he sat. And probably, uh, someone mentioned this last week. I think there's some, some significance to that imagery of him sitting. Uh, he, he did his work. He, he finished and now he sat down. And where did he sit? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We looked at that. That's the position of authority and power. So he goes to the cross to be the atonement for our sins, which is a big deal for the Hebrews because the writer is going to argue all the way throughout. If you reject Jesus and his sacrifice, there's no purification for your sins. You're still in your sins. So Jesus made purification and then he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And now he gets into this whole discussion about angels having become as much better than the angels. So Jesus is superior to angels. And remember, we talked about this in the introduction. Uh, it's He's not simply comparing Jesus to angels because of the predominance of angels. The, the Jews received the law as given through angels, and he's going to show that Jesus outranks the angels. Therefore, his covenant and his law, so to speak, it outranks the law of Moses delivered by angels. Therefore, breaking the law of Moses delivered by angels is bad. Denying the covenant of Christ is even worse. So that's where he's going here. And if you missed that uh, from uh, last week, you can go back and watch this. So, uh, he's much better than the angels. He has inherited a more excellent name than they. See that? The angels have a name and the Son has a name which is more excellent than the name of the angels. Well, What is the name that Jesus has inherited? It's son. And that's how he quotes here from Psalm 2. For, rhetorical question, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? You see the intent of this uh, uh, rhetorical question? He didn't. God never said this to the angels. You are my son, today I have begotten you. So the Son of God, Jesus, has this name, this title, this this status, Son. The angels don't have that status. He's going to go on and explain that the angels are messengers. They're servants. But Jesus is the Son. Now, he quotes here from Psalm 2. The way the Jews would have read Psalm 2 is it's a kingly psalm, and, and we're going to look at it, so just stay with me. It was a kingly psalm. They might have looked at it as messianic, uh, but they would have looked at it as, as describing the present king, David, for instance. But the writer of Hebrews now is doing what we should do. They are reading the Old Testament as the story of Jesus. They're reading the Old Testament as a Christian, not as a Jew. Jews read the Old Testament, and they are convinced we're still under the law of Moses, and they're still waiting for the Messiah. Christians read the Old Testament and say, know everything from Genesis 1 through Malachi. It's all about Jesus. Not just the Messiah, but the Messiah who has come the one whom we know his name. His name is Jesus. So now we have to read the Old Testament, read the Psalms, for instance, not as uh, Jewish literature, but as Christian literature. In fact, if you and a Jew agree on the meaning of a text in the Old Testament, you don't understand it correctly. We can't agree with the Jews on an interpretation because everything in the Old Testament points to Christ, and the Jews cannot accept that. Jesus himself taught us this, just to remind you: John 5, Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders, you search the scriptures. That was good, they were diligent to search the scriptures. You search them because you think that in them, in the scriptures, You have eternal life. You think, Jesus says, you can read the Old Testament and find eternal life there. Look at this. It is these, these Old Testament scriptures that testify about me. So if you're not reading the Old Testament and finding their testimony about Christ, you don't understand the Old Testament correctly. Jesus is written on every page of the Old Testament. It's all about him. All of it. He said the same thing to the disciples after the resurrection Luke 24. These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. See, that's all about Jesus. So when you're reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and creation, you don't just think about God abstractly creating this universe. Based on what we saw in Hebrews 1, he's creating a universe as an inheritance for his son. You see that? Jesus is the heir of the world. He inherits the world. That was the plan. Why did God say, let there be light? Why did he fill the earth with animals? Why did he make Adam and Eve and tell them to reproduce and rule the earth? It was all to establish the inheritance that God would give his son. So we can't read Genesis 1, Genesis 2, put Adam and Eve in the garden, all that. We can't read that just, just as, as uh, general creation literature. It's all setting up Christ. We get to the law and the, the establishment of the people of Israel and all the Old Testament predictions. And we, we know this, right? We're going to see this all throughout Hebrews. The sacrifices, pictured Christ. The temple, pictured Christ. The priesthood pictured Christ, Moses pictured Christ, the, the old covenant was going to be replaced with a new covenant, and the old covenant had a role in preparing for the coming of Christ, just that's that's how it works, that's what the story is, uh, the law was given to Israel for a purpose, to get to Christ, and now we we, were, we uh, obey Jesus' law, all right, so here's what we need to do, and I'm realizing my time is getting away from me already, so we probably won't finish this all today, we'll see. Whenever you see the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, if you want to greatly enhance your understanding of God's Word, and if you want to understand how the Old Testament points to Christ, you need to go back and look at the passage that's being quoted in the New Testament. You follow me? So a New Testament author quotes something from the Old Testament. They don't do that randomly. They don't simply grab verses that happen to say something they want to say and then bring it forward in the New Testament. No, when you go back and see the broader context of that Old Testament passage, you begin to learn how it points to Christ and it will transform your understanding of the Old Testament. I've taught this for years. Uh, We have a a course at NCST called Introduction to Biblical Theology. I did a little bit of this in a a shorter, I think it was a four-part series many years ago that you can find on YouTube or our website, CrossToCrown.org. I can't tell you, (coughs) excuse me, how many people have gone through the uh, biblical theology course. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, suddenly I know what to do with the Old Testament. I understand it, and it has come alive. So when when we read the Old Testament simply as like the history of the Jews, we tend to think, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not a Jew. How does this apply to me? And some people, of course, would say, well, you know, we are to uh, learn how to please God from the Old Testament. Well, it doesn't work that way because that's not our law, for one thing. The law was never given to anybody outside of Israel. It wasn't given to the Philistines. It wasn't given to the Amorites. It wasn't given to the Americans. Uh, it's about Israel and God's plan for Israel. Uh, and, and I think, uh, uh, Vicki, is that your name? I hope I remember you just, you made a come here. Are there many Christians who would read the Old Testament like a Jew Uh, it is pretty hard. Yeah. I think, uh, I saw a comment, a little discussion between you and someone about the Sabbath. I I did a whole series on the Sabbath. You can look at it and I don't want to get into it here. We don't have time, but I would, I would ask you to think through the Sabbath. Well, you were tying it though, weren't you to Genesis? Yeah. Okay. I don't have time to go down that path. I did a whole series on this. Um, so I'm sorry I brought that up. Let me skip on past that. (laughs) It sounds like you, you believe the Sabbath was established in uh, Genesis for all time. And, and I would just say this, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I don't have time. I'm already running out of time. But I would just ask this question. The Sabbath, as described in Genesis, is very clearly and authoritatively stated to be on the seventh day. And yet in church history, theologians have transferred it to the first day. And I would argue they've done that without any biblical warrant. If we are going to be Sabbath keepers, we have to do it on the seventh day because that is what was established, and it is, it is firmly placed in the seventh day. We'll see some of this in Hebrews four, so we'll get there. And again, I did a whole series on this, so you can check that out. I don't want to, I don't debate that here. And I, I, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be unintentionally provocative. Just I, I remember that comment from last week. I thought I would at least uh, ask the question: uh, if you are, if you believe we should keep the Sabbath, uh, and I again, I'm asking it rhetorically. Um, anyway oh man i've let time get away from me uh it will transform your understanding of the old testament if every time you see an old testament quote in the new testament if you go back and look at the original context and you can't just read the verse So this, uh, today you are my son, I'm sorry, you are my son today, I've gotten you from Psalm 2. You can't just go back and pick that out, verse 7. No, no, you have to read the whole thing. Let me get started with this and I'll see, and I'll go kind of fast and uh, we'll see if I can get this done in time. Um, Juan says, but in the reference that you showed us, Jesus says that there are many things written about him in the Old Testament. So isn't it a little too much to say every page testifies of Jesus? Well, isn't that what John 5, is that what he's getting at in John 5? Um, okay, maybe. Uh, m- maybe, but I, I would still say you need to read the Old Testament as the story of Jesus. If, if nothing else, every page of the Old Testament is setting up for the coming of Christ. Will you go that far with me? So <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that everything in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. So the sacrifices, for instance, the animal sacrifices, very clearly those are a type of Jesus's sacrifice, right? We see that? Those animals were offered and then Jesus is called, for instance, the lamb of God. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the fulfillment of what was pictured in all those lambs that were sacrificed right? And, and Juan says, yes, yeah. so it sounds like you're agreeing with me. All right, so I'm not suggesting that everything in the Old Testament is a type, but I do think everything in the Old Testament either prefigures Christ like a type, like a little, the lamb, or it points to Christ, or it prepares for Christ. Can you tell I've taught this a few times? <laughs> Got my nice little alliteration there. I used to be a preacher. Uh, so even the history of the Jews, like numbers, and you know Leviticus and some of the well, Leviticus is is more clear maybe, but some of those, the Chronicles, some of those long passages, the genealogies and things, okay, they may not be types and shadow relationship and and picture fulfillment stuff, but at least they're preparing because the the whole history of the Old Testament is uh, picturing and preparing for rather preparing for the coming of Christ. One of the interesting things we're going to see. Down the road (laughs) in Hebrews, if I ever get there, man, this is, this is, anyway, uh, is the writer of Hebrews actually says that the old covenant structure, the, the priesthood and all that was a parable of the present time. Now, most translations don't translate a parable. In fact, maybe none of them do. They translate it with the word symbol. But the actual word in the Greek is parable. So imagine that. Think about that. You go back and you read the Old Testament, especially the, the priestly system, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the temple wor- worship and, and all that, the sacrifices and the sacerdotalism, all that. The writer of Hebrews is going to tell us that's all a parable. It's a story that is thrown alongside to illustrate the coming of Christ and the new covenant. So, yeah, one, I, I appreciate the, uh, the the clarification there. When I say find Jesus on every page, I don't mean they all are typological as like the lamb is, but it's at least part of the story. Every page is part of the story that is preparing for the coming of Christ. It's not intended to stand on its own. We're not to read the Old Testament as though it stands on its own. Uh Here's where I part ways with someone like John MacArthur. You know, he has said, you don't need the New Testament to understand the Old Testament. I think that is flat out wrong and you cannot understand the Old Testament without the New Testament because it's all about Jesus. All right. I have uh, used up all our time setting this up. Tomorrow we will look through Psalm 2. And I'll I'll model for you what I'm talking about. When you see the New Testament quote in the Old, you need to go back and read the whole section of the Old and see why does this author now grab this Old Testament text. And he only quotes a verse, but he's got the entire thing in mind. And we need to go back and understand that. And it helps us. It teaches us how to interpret the New Testament terp- interpretation of the Old. That it, 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 We learned so much about how the New Testament authors read the Old Testament. So come back tomorrow, we'll look at that. Let me uh, see a couple of your comments here. Uh, Study German says, could you post the link about your Sabbath teaching? Um, yeah, i will be happy to. I will uh, put that in the, in the notes. If you happen to look on the YouTube page, um, it's... Uh, can't remember now the name of it. So yeah, I'll post a link to it. Uh, Grady says I actually think they were supposed to see the Messiah in the Old Testament. That's why they erred the New Covenant was promised before captivity. They knew the Suffering Servant. They missed it. Yeah, exactly. And now that we see the uh, interpretive grid, if you will, Christ, we can go back and see that it's so obvious. And you think how how could we miss? How could they have missed that? Right? Um, and there are answers to that. But uh, yeah, exactly. They should have seen it back there. Juan says, uh, "I was sure you didn't mean every page. Just needed it clarified." Yeah, good. Keep me, uh, keep me honest there. All right, folks, time is up. Sorry, that we didn't get to it. We'll get back to, it. we'll get to it tomorrow. Psalm two, come back. Have a great day. God bless.